Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. If you remember where we were last, we were in Galatians chapter 4. And we finished up Galatians chapter 4, and so now we're heading into Galatians chapter 5. That was a while ago. Um, So let me refresh your memory. We are entering into what most people would say is kind of the third section of the book. The chapter... The chapters work well in Galatians. Sometimes chapters are divided well, and sometimes they're not. Here in Galatians, it's, it's pretty good. So chapters 1 and 2 form the first section, 3 and 4 the second section, and then 5 and 6 form the third section. You'll remember in the first part of the letter that, that Paul expresses to his, his friends in Galatia that he is astonished, that he is astonished at the fact that they have so quickly fallen away from the truth of the gospel that he had preached to them when he was there. You remember he had been in Galatia, he had told them about the truth of the gospel, and they have fallen away from it, it would seem. Of course, their quick desertion was was not just rooted in themselves, there were these false teachers that had come in. You remember we talked about these false teachers, the Judaizers that had infiltrated the church and were teaching things contrary to what Paul said. And the first thing that, that they said as they presented themselves in opposition to Paul was they, they accused him of, of kind of making up the message. They accused him of not being a true apostle, distorting the message of, of Peter and James and John. And so Paul shares this biography in the first two chapters, and he talks about his conversion, his call to ministry, how he received the message that, that he is preaching from Jesus himself. And not only that, but that when he went to Jerusalem, the, the, the higher-up apostles in their eyes agreed with him. They agreed with the message that he was preaching, as he describes it in In chapter 2, verse 16, he says that we are not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ. And he says, all the apostles in Jerusalem agree with me. I didn't make this message up, and and they agree with me on what this message is. He then talks about the message. It's a message of justification by faith alone. And this is what he he defends in chapters 3 and 4. You remember, uh, he talks about this this core truth of, of the good news about Jesus, and so the first section is, is kind of biographical. We might say the second section is, is doctrinal. Um, the whole book is doctrinal, so it's hard to divide it like that. There's doctrine in every chapter. But we might say that this is, is doctrinal. The false teachers were saying that salvation by faith is a, is a good place to start, but it, it can't be where we stay. We have to move on to, to good works to be truly saved. We have to move on to adhering to the law, to circumcision, and to Jewish laws. They, we must add faith to our works. They were preaching a, a form of, of legalism, that you have to do these certain things in order to be truly saved. So Paul argues against this. He says that we are made right before God, not by what we do, but by what Christ has done, and by our faith in that. Faith is the key word. He emphasizes even our adoption as those who have placed their faith in Christ. Remember, he says that we are children of Abraham, not by being physical descendants, but because Abraham was a man of faith. And if we have faith, then we are children of Abraham. And then it gets even more glorious because he says, we're not just children of Abraham, we are, we are children of God. And, and then you remember at the end of, of chapter 4, he, he went into the talk of, between uh, Sarah and Hagar. And he says, you're children of Abraham, and, and you are the freeborn children of Abraham. You are children according to Sarah. You are free. And so in the midst of of all of of these attacks that are coming against Paul and his personal character and against 
the message that, that he is, is preaching. He, he is calling this group of believers to, to, to see the truth. He's, he's laboring. Remember that phrase he uses? I'm, I'm laboring to see Christ formed in you. And the key message that he gives here at the beginning of chapter 5, as we kind of move into this section that's, that's more exhortation, that's more ethics, that's more talking about what, what should we do now according to this truth. He, the first thing that he says for us to understand, for the Galatians to understand is this, it's stand firm in the freedom Christ gives. He's just talked about freedom in, in verses 21 through 31 of chapter 4, and now he says stand firm in that freedom that Christ gives. Let's, let's read these verses together. Galatians 5, and we'll read the first six verses of this chapter. Galatians chapter 5, Paul writes, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm, and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. But faith working through love. So Paul is calling us, he's calling the Galatians, he says, stand firm in the freedom that Christ gives. Stand firm. That, that's a, a phrase, an exhortation, a word that, that Paul uses a lot in Scripture, in his, in his letters. Uh, it's this idea of being firmly committed to something, to a conviction or, or to a belief. One way that he uses it is in Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. Listen to these words. He says to the Philippians, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you and that too from God. He calls them to, to stand firm together. We are, are called to, to stand firm. We might think of a, of a tree that has all the forces of nature going against it. Think about being a tree. I don't know if you've ever thought about being a tree, but how, how everything in nature is, is forcing it, itself against this tree. The wind and the rain, the, the hail that we had recently beating down on trees. I don't know about you, we had some hail and the, and the leaves were everywhere, all over our yard. The, the sun is, is seeking to, to scorch the tree. The, the snow uh, freezes the tree. Disease and, and drought. And the tree stands firm. It's unmoved from where it's planted. And Paul calls the Galatians and he calls us to, to stand firm, to be unmoved from our faith in the gospel, their faith in Jesus alone for salvation. Specifically, what he's saying is stand firm in freedom. They're to stand firm against Slavery against the slavery of the law that was trying to be imposed upon them. Now, there, there are things in my life that I need to stand firm against. There are, there are sins in my life. There are propensities that I have. I know that I need to avoid. Um, for instance, in, in light of the Kentucky Derby, 
I should never bet on horses because I'm an optimist. Um, I learned this as a young child going to arcades that I would spend way too much money thinking that I would eventually win, and I didn't. And my parents would never let me go to arcades. And so I have learned that I should never do that because I am an optimist, which I'm so thankful to God I married my wife because she is a realist. And she's usually very right about things. I always think that I'm going to come out on top. And sometimes I do, but a lot of times I don't. So I have to stand firm against that. That, that makes sense to me. Or stand firm against eating three pieces of cake rather than, than one because that's something that, that tempts me. Now, if you said stand firm against becoming a slave, I would say that that's kind of a no-brainer to me. You know, why would I need to stand firm against that? I I want to be free. I'm I'm an American, right? I mean, freedom is 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 part. It runs through our veins. You know, freedom is, is who we are. But it, it, doesn't it seem odd then that that Paul's telling the Galatians to stand firm against slavery, to remain in in freedom rather than going into slavery, to stay out of the jail cell of the law and of legalism is is slavery really something that's that's a draw to us is it is it te- is it a temptation to us yes it is it, we've said this before maybe i've said it, it, it too often but our, our prideful hearts are like that car you remember with the steering that's out of alignment and we just naturally want to move into legalism we naturally fade to the right off the road the steering wheel is is pulling that direction that's that's just where we want to go because in our pride we say, I need to do something. I need to add something to my faith. And then we have people, false teachers in the back seat, those backseat drivers telling us, yeah, go right, go that way. That's the way you want to go. Go back into slavery. Be enslaved again to the law. Do You, you need to do this and this and this in order to be saved. We want to move into that. I don't know about you, that's where my heart wants to go. And so Paul says, stand firm in your freedom. Paul knows this desire. It was the desire of his his own heart, of, of being enslaved to the law. He, he was there. He was the one that tried to keep it all. And he calls us to stand firm in our freedom. And, and, and as he says stand firm, he says, if you don't stand firm, this is what the result will be. Like any good warning, he says, here's the consequences. If I tell my children to not do something, usually I say, if you do this, this is what will happen to you. If you do not obey, this will be the consequence. And they know it. Sometimes they choose to disobey, even though they know the consequence. And so Paul kind of gives, here's what's going to happen. If you guys choose to step out of freedom and to move back into slavery, this is what you have awaiting for you. These are the consequences. So he says, first, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Christ will be of no benefit to you. Let's let's read verses 1 and 2 again. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. This is actually the first time in the letter that Paul makes it clear that one of the main things that the false teachers were teaching about was was circumcision, that, that this was a contention between these Galatian believers and the false teachers, the, the Judaizers. They, they were they kept hammering on this old covenant seal of, of circumcision, saying that new followers in Christ needed to be circumcised in order to be truly saved, to be legitimate followers of Jesus. But the act of, of circumcision really wasn't the issue. It was the attitude of, of their hearts. It was this attitude that said, um, 
This act, doing this, will make you acceptable to God. Remember we said that, that is, that's legalism. And so Paul warns, if you guys cave on this issue, behold, I say to you that if you receive circumcision, if, if you guys fall out of your freedom into this enslavement, then Christ will be of absolutely no benefit to you. Because if you had anything to faith in Christ, then you miss the whole point and all the benefits of the gospel. All that we need and all, all that we could ever want is found through faith in Christ. So then to, to seek to do good deeds, um, to add to that faith, is, is to try to, to bribe God for what he's already given us. So if we spend all our time trying to bribe God for, for what we already have in him, then, then he is of no benefit to us. He hasn't come to make us wander around trying to, to earn his love or to earn our freedom. He has come to set us free from all of this needless activity, all of this needless trying to earn favor with him. This is the message of, of the gospel. The message of the gospel is, is of a prison break. That, that God, when the fullness of time come, as, came, as, as Paul wrote here in Galatians, he sent his son into the world so that he would obey the law, that he would fulfill all righteousness, and he would die in the place of those of us who could not fulfill the law and could not fulfill all righteousness. And so those of us who are enslaved in prison to, to death and, and to sin and, and to the world and to the law can be freed by faith in Christ. So it's through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that he calls us to be free through faith. Look, look at the way he says it in, in chapter 5, verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. It sounds a little redundant, doesn't it? It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Jesus set you free so that you would be free. He didn't set you free so that you would be re-enslaved to try to do things to earn freedom. And he set you free so that you would be free. So there's a couple different kinds of people possibly here this morning. There are those um, who are enslaved to the world, to the world, the flesh, and the devil. You're enslaved to a law that says you must work, you must do things to earn your salvation. And you came in here thinking you were free as a bird and that you could eventually earn your salvation, but suddenly you're seeing that, that you are in prison, that you are seeking favor with God through what you do. And if that's you this morning, if you are trying to make God happy by what you do, then the message that you need to hear is this. Jesus has come to set you free. Jesus has come to release you. The message of the gospel is the message of a prison break, and you are in prison to your sin and to trying to earn God's favor through those things. And he says, I came to set you free from that because I did it all. I fulfilled the law, and you can't. And I died because you couldn't. And so if you put your faith in me, then you will be free. And if Jesus sets us free, he says, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. So there are those who are still enslaved to sin, enslaved to this law that says I need to do, do, do for God to be happy with me, for me to be accepted by Him. And so I, I would say to you, Jesus came to set you free from that. And by faith, 
You don't have to work to earn his favor. But place your faith in him and you will be set free. And of course, there's those of us who are followers of Christ. We've been set free, but we are choosing to remain in the prison cell for some reason or another. We've chosen to walk back in there. You can imagine the, the cinder block walls are, are broken down and the gate is standing wide open. And we just kind of say, well, you know, I kind of like to stay here. I don't really want to go out of my prison cell. I'm very comfortable trying to earn God's favor, trying to keep my list of do's and don'ts. And Jesus says, but that's not why I came. I, I didn't come so that you would stay. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. So don't go back to the yoke of slavery. The walls have crumbled around you. The cell door is open. Don't be enslaved by legalism and by law. That's not why Christ saved you. It was for freedom that he blew apart the prison cell of the law and of sin and of flesh and of the devil. So the message that Paul is giving is, is not here, though, that if you fall back into, into legalism, then you lose your salvation, that you're not saved. That's not at all what he is saying. But, but I believe that it's, it's not too far to say that if this is your mentality, if you live your life saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I also know that I have to do all these things, then you have not understood why he came. And Christ is of no benefit to you. You're not free. That's why he came. He came to set you free. And if you're continuing to, to live under the guilt of saying, I have to do this for Jesus to be happy with me, and for, for me to be a son of God, for me to be accepted, then Christ is he's of no benefit to you. You are still in your sin. You are still enslaved. So if we, if we don't stand firm in the freedom that Christ has given, Paul says stand firm, and if, and if you don't, if we're seeking righteousness apart from Christ, then Christ, first of all, is of no benefit to us. And the second thing Paul says, he says, you are enslaved to the entire law. You're enslaved to the entire law. Verse 3 says, And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. It's not as simple as the false teachers were making it. What they were saying is, do this, and then God will be happy with you. Be circumcised. And then you will be accepted, acceptable before God. But, but when they, if they would do that, Paul says, you're setting the ball in motion and saying that, that now this is how I earn salvation is by what I do. Just this one act. Now, if I do this, well, there's a whole other list of things that, that you have to keep. To, to be circumcised was to put confidence in the flesh, to put confidence in what they could do, to say doing things saves me. And, and if we say that, Paul says, well, there, there's a whole lot more to do and to not do to earn your salvation. And so too with us, if we, if we put our confidence in our flesh rather than our faith in Christ, then the list becomes much longer than we expected. You might have a list of things that you need to do that you feel like, this is what I need to do for God to be happy with me. Well, if you, if you complete that list, Suddenly, there's going to be more things tacked on to it. I remember a long time ago reading about Benjamin Franklin, who, who had the thought that he could become perfect. Uh, he had a list of 13 virtues, and he says, you know, in 13 weeks, I'm going to have it made. I'm going to be perfect. I'll just take a virtue a week, and eventually, I'll be perfect. So he started week one and worked on it, and he said, I've got that one covered. And then he started week two. So I've got two covered. How about week three and four? the virtue of week one started to slip because he was so focused on, on week four. And, and the list got longer and longer. I, I would think after the 13 virtues, you suddenly say, well, you know, I kind of 
neglected this, I realize that this is sin in my life, and that I need to, to do this. If we start putting confidence in the flesh, suddenly the list gets really, really long. It's like you apply for a job, and you have the job description there before you, and you sign on the dotted line and say, yes, this is my job. And then you get hired, and you walk in, and suddenly the list is a lot longer, and they're expecting you to do a lot more. And you say, well, that's not what I signed up for. And say, well, that's, that's part of the job. This is, these are now your responsibilities, and you have to do them. Paul says if we put our confidence in the flesh, it's not just one thing, it's not two things, it's not ten things, it's the whole law. You have to do everything. You have to be perfect. So if we're going to stand firm, we see these warnings. Stand firm in freedom, because if you don't, Christ is of no benefit to you. And if you don't, then you're not just enslaved to a few things. You're enslaved to the whole law. You're enslaved to being perfect before God. And then some of the most daunting words, he says, if, if we don't stand firm, then we are separated from Christ and His grace. We are separated from Christ and His grace. Look at verse 4. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. It would seem like these verses are saying things similar to what's said in verses 2 and 3, that, that Christ is of no benefit, that we're enslaved to the whole law, rather than being free to live in the grace that Christ gives. And yet, that's a strong message, isn't it? To be severed from Christ, to have fallen from grace. Again, I don't think it's it's losing salvation if you struggle with legalism. Rather, it's it's that Christ is, is not doing what he came to do in your life. He came to set you free, and you are cutting yourself off completely from the power that he wants to give you to live a life that is pleasing to him. You have fallen from grace. The one way to translate that, that word, you've fallen from grace, is actually to, to drift. You, you, you've drifted from grace. It's like you're a boat without an anchor, and, and if, if you don't stand firm, if you don't drop the anchor on the, the foundation of salvation by faith in Christ alone, then, then you start to drift from that. You're starting to, to fall away from freedom and to, to re-enslave yourself to the law. These are our strong warnings, aren't they? To stand firm. He says stand firm in the freedom that Christ gives you. And if you don't, then, then Christ has no benefit to you. You're going to have to keep the whole law and you'll be severed from him and from grace. I want to stand firm. I don't want those things to happen to me. So how do we stand firm? What is the exhortation that Paul is going to give us for telling me, how do I stand firm? Okay, Paul, you've convinced me. I don't want Christ to be of no benefit. I know I can't keep the whole law, and I don't want to be severed from him and his grace. So tell me, how do I stand firm? Look at verse 4. I'm sorry, verse 5. Uh, he says, for we... Notice that we. He says, he says we. I, I think that's a, a key that Paul is now speaking to them as, as they are believers. He's speaking those who are, are Christians, those who have put their faith in Christ. We, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. But faith, working through love. Now, 
these these two verses they're going to be kind of a preview basically of the of the rest of chapters five and six and the key words there are for we through the spirit by faith they've been key words throughout the book of galatians especially faith and, and paul's really going to zero in on on the work of the spirit in in sanctifying us and in, in making us like jesus so how do we stand firm we through the spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness for in christ jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love I, I wrestled with this to be honest trying to understand what what is what is paul trying to communicate here so it, this is is what i believe he is trying to say to stand firm through the spirit by faith we wait with a confident hope through the spirit by faith we wait with a confident hope so that's that's the first thing and then the second is through the spirit by faith we work to love god and others how are we going to stand firm first through the through the spirit by faith we wait with a confident hope that's that's verse 5 for we through the spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness there's this there's this confidence that we have as people who have placed their faith in Christ and our confidence is not in the flesh it's not in circumcision it's not in keeping the law it's not in church attendance it's not in um, you know keeping all the the beatitudes or even later on we'll see doing all the fruits of the spirit making sure that those are things that you're working on that's not where our confidence is our, our confidence our faith is in the finished work of Christ and that allows us to wait eagerly it says to wait eagerly for the fulfillment of what Christ has begun. We don't we don't wait we don't wait for Jesus to come in, in fear, wondering, have I done enough good things for him to accept me? Did, did I do enough on the list so that if he came back today that I would be acceptable before him? No. We, we wait through the Spirit by faith with a confident hope because our salvation isn't rooted here. It's rooted in what Jesus has done for us. And so we're, we're waiting. There's, there's, um, this is, is what you would call the, the not yet of our salvation. There's this, this dichotomy in Scripture, these two things, the, the already and the not yet. There are things that are already fulfilled and there are things that are not yet fulfilled. There's part of our salvation that, that we are still being saved, that, that we are still waiting to see the fullness of our salvation when we are really truly like Christ because no one in here is, is perfectly like Christ yet that we're all waiting for that but we wait with a confident hope our hope is that when jesus returns then we will be righteous we have this this hope of righteousness because of what jesus has done and we wait eagerly we wait with confidence through the spirit by faith so so this is part of how we stand firm okay We, we stand firm knowing that it right now if i have put my faith in christ alone for salvation I have nothing to fear when I die. I have nothing to fear if Jesus came back today. It doesn't matter what I did this morning or, or what I did this past week. If my faith is in Christ alone for salvation, that then I'm saved. That then when He comes, I will be righteous. I will I will be glorified. There is this confidence that comes by the Spirit and by faith in Christ that we can stand firm. There, there is there there is no shadow of a doubt about that if we are in Christ. 
So through the Spirit, by faith, we wait with confident hope. So now all of this kind of sounds like we're just supposed to, to stand. Like, like, you know, if, I, if this was the pole, like this is the posture of the Christian life. Like we're just holding on until he comes back. I've just got to stand firm right here. I don't want to let go of this and, and drift into legalism. And I'm just going to wait, and then he's going to be righteous. Is that the stance of the Christian life, that we just kind of hold on for dear life until he comes back, that we stand, sit on our rooftops and just wait and say, if I go somewhere, I'm going to be tempted to legalism? No, because that's, that's the second part. Through the Spirit, by faith, we work to love God and others. We work. Now, that sounds like the opposite of what I've been saying, right? We work. But we don't work to earn our salvation. Look at what he says. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. But faith, working through love. Here's what I think he's saying. He says circumcision, uncircumcision, whether you're circumcised, choose not to be circumcised, it really, it doesn't matter in terms of salvation. My wife and I have had three children. We've had all girls. We've never had to deal with that whole issue as to what to do. I guess there's debate as what the healthy thing to do or the not healthy, what's, what you're supposed to do. But here's the thing that I know. It doesn't matter. It has absolutely nothing to do with salvation. And whatever's on your, your list, it has nothing to do with whether or not you're saved. It doesn't matter. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. But what does mean something? Faith. Faith in Christ. Faith that, that He has saved us. Faith in that Jesus has done what we never could do. And that faith works, or maybe your translation says, expresses itself through love. There's a great quote, I think it's been attributed to, um, to John Calvin. He says, we are saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. What is the nature? What, what does truth saving faith look like? It looks like faith that works itself out in love. If you have faith that's not working itself out in love, then you have to question, is this real true faith? What does Jesus say? Whoever loves me keeps my commandments. There's, there's faith that, that works itself out in love. But but how? Remember those, those key words. Through the Spirit, by faith, we work to love others. This is Paul guarding against the other pitfall. The one pitfall is legalism, right? We've got to do all these things for God to be happy with this. But now we get to this place where we say, well, I'm free in Christ. I don't have to do any of those things. So now the other pitfall is laziness or what we would call license. I can do whatever I want because I'm acceptable. I'm accepted by faith in Christ. We don't want to be legalists, but we don't want to be lazy people that just do whatever we want. So Paul says, no, true saving faith works itself out in love. And he's going to explain that so much more. This is, this is something that's all throughout Scripture. I was reading this week in Ephesians, and I just saw it. It says, Ephesians, the, the passage on the armor of God, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Now, doesn't that seem like a contradiction? Be strong in the strength of the Lord. And then he says, put on the full armor of God. It's not our armor. It's not our strength. It's God that is doing the work through us. And yet, we still are called to be strong. 
are still called to put on the armor. This is the work of the Christian life. This is this is sanctification. This is it, it just it, it's this this strange. Matt and I had a conversation about this, trying to say it just doesn't. It's hard to see that tension, but it's it's there. That that Christ has called us to put our faith in Him alone for salvation. But that faith is something that is worked out in our lives, and the only reason it's worked out in our lives is through the Spirit, by faith. It's hard to see, and 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 so I'm I'm just kind of introducing it because we're going to slowly see this, especially as we get into the fruits of the Spirit. Just think about that. He, he says in verse 19, the deeds of the flesh, I'm still thinking about this, but he says the deeds of the flesh are evident. The things that we do in the flesh are, are very clear. And then he does those in contrast to the fruit of the Spirit, something that springs from the Spirit. It's not deeds of the Spirit, it's, it's fruit of the Spirit. It's what the Spirit is, is doing. So, we are called to stand firm. And if you don't stand firm, then Christ is of no benefit to you. And you're going to have to keep the whole law and you're severed from Christ and from His grace. So how do we stand firm? Through the Spirit, by faith, we wait with a confident hope. Not in what we do, but waiting in what Christ has done. And then, through the Spirit, by faith, we work to love God and others, which is the fulfillment of the law that He does in and through us in this strange and, and mysterious co-working. So we're going to try to, to work that out. In, in the weeks ahead. But in closing, and, and as we prepare to to take the Lord's Supper, I wanted to read uh, just a section from this book. I, I think I've mentioned it before, The Hiding Place. Uh, Corey Ten Boom was a, a Christian lady who, because of, of hiding Jews in, during World War II, was, was placed into a concentration camp. And this is, this is her biography. If you're looking for some summer reading, you know, to take to the beach or something, this is, is great. Um, I listened to it on MP3, which was nice, too. Um, but th- this is a great book to read, encouraging. Um, and I just want to read part of this. Where she's, she had aunts, it was her, her mother's sisters, that, that lived with them. And one of them was named Ons, actually spelled J-A-N-S. Tanta Ons is what, is what she called her, Tanta Ons. And, and Tanta Ons was a, a character, she was, uh, but she was always busy always doing things. She was a Christian lady and was working hard for different things related to the war effort, but also writing tracts and, and sharing the gospel. Um, Tata Ans was a, a, a pretty amazing lady, but Tata Ans had diabetes. And in that day, there, was, there wasn't much that they could do. Uh, in the book, Corey says it was basically a death sentence. And so Corey was in charge every morning, of, or every Friday, of taking Tata Ans' blood and seeing if she, where she was at, how she was doing. And if everything stayed clear when she had a different solution to the, um, to the blood, then uh, every, it was okay. She was fine. But if the solution turned black, then something was bad. And, and lo and behold, one Friday morning, she did, the, you know, did everything that she was supposed to do, and the solution turned black. She immediately ran to her sister Betsy and to her father and said, I don't know what to do. And they went to the doctor, and the doctor said, she has about three weeks. And so the whole family knew. And they went to, to Tanta Ans and to, to tell her what had happened, to, to let her know what had happened. So they go and they, they knock on the door, and she says, come in. And so Father walks in along with everyone else, and Tanta Ans says she knew something 
was up at that point, and then she realized it was Friday, and that Corey had not yet come to her and told her what the results were. So <clears throat> I always end up getting too emotional when I read this stuff, so forgive me if I do, um, but <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best to work through it. Uh, this is the father speaking. He says, my, my dear sister-in-law, father began gently, there is a joyous journey which each of God's children sooner or later sets out on. And on some must go to their father empty-handed. But you will run to him with hands full. All your clubs, Tanta Anna ventured. Your writings, Mama added. The funds you've raised, said Betsy. Your talks, I began. But our well-meant words were useless. In front of us, the proud face crumpled. Tanta Ans put her hands over her eyes and began to cry. Empty. Empty, she choked at last through her tears. How can we bring anything to God? What does he care for our little tricks and trinkets? And then... This is that, that hope, right? And then as we listened in disbelief, she lowered her hands and with tears still coursing down her face, whispered, Dear Jesus, I thank you that we must come with empty hands. I thank you that you have done all, all on the cross, and that all we need in life or death is to be sure of this. Tata Hans had done a lot, but she knew when she came to Jesus, she came with empty hands. Because he had done everything needed for her salvation. Anything that he had that she had done was done through the Spirit, by faith, in the power that he supplied. And so she walked into death with a confident hope because she had lived her life through the Spirit, by faith, working to love God and to love others. But that wasn't where her confidence was. She was standing firm in the freedom that only Christ can give.